Today I'm going to be interviewed by Rebecca Breezy, who happens not only to be an interviewer, but also to be my sister. Yes, we are related. As you can tell, if you look at our noses. This is true. Our nose. We have these, it's our these big noses. secret signal. Yeah, yeah, which we inherited from our mother. Mm -hmm. Like a family heirloom. In yes. fact, yeah, she, she gave half her nose to you and half to me. Because hers is huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically both of ours put together. So, now that we've been disinherited, yes. let's talk about how we can, how to make money. <laughs> Do you like that segue? That was good. Sort that of. Was very natural. Because today we're going to talk about, um, well, first of all, we're going to talk about the translation business. Correct. Actually, first, I'd like just to introduce who you are, and then I'll introduce myself briefly. And then we'll get started with the whole spiel. So, Rebecca, who are you? I'm Rebecca. I have a big nose. I'm related to Ocean. But uh, most importantly, I do a lot of the social media management for Kahi. And um, as, as was mentioned today, I'm going to interview um, Robert on um, translation business and how you get into that and how you manage that. And then I also want to talk about being multilingual. We grew up in a multilingual home and sort of the more... Uh, personal side of that and, and how people with multiple languages can use that to their advantage and as a skill. Okay. Well, um, and first of all, because you said that, uh, that you handle uh, my social media, et cetera, I mean, handle social media for Akahi and whatnot, but that's not your day job. Your day job is you... you Correct. Yeah, you have another day job. So what's that? That's my early morning or late evening job. And my day job, I work for a software company called Linex Systems, which is a business-to-business -business news delivery and management site. Um, so we, we sell to private libraries, corporations, professional services firms, government agencies, that sort of thing, to help them manage their news flows. Right. And I, I needed to have you explain it because it's been about 10 years that you've been trying to explain it to me and I still don't know. All I know is that you deal with sure. librarians, but the type that don't work in libraries. And that is accurate. That yes. is an accurate assessment of what I do. <laughs> so Because I good. work in linguistics. And so even if you don't work in linguistics, you kind of assume that a librarian is someone who works in a library. But if you're a librarian and you don't work in a library, then call my sister. Call yes. Okay. <laughs> good. And um, so, so let's get started. So you want to talk to me, uh, let's talk about being a translator and how to be one and why to be one, et cetera. So. Yeah. Start with the simplest question there is, how you got started in translating. Right. Okay. So yeah, it happened very organically. I, at the beginning, well, when I was in college and undergrad, I uh, ended up for extra cash. I would teach Italian because you and I, we grew up in a bilingual household, Italian and English. And so I spoke both. I went to college in the U.S. and I ended up uh, teaching Italian for extra money and also doing some translations here and there. Then later I went back to Switzerland. I got a job in, in a bank, nothing to do with translation, but I found myself always doing the translations in the job. And then nice. later my job after that, it was kind of the same thing. And then, then I went to grad school and then I found myself doing, because in grad school I was completely broke. And so I was doing quite a few translations for extra cash. Anyway, it took me a while to think, hey, if this is my go-to for extra cash, maybe I should try to, you know, make a business out of it. And so that's what I did. And so I started taking it a bit more seriously and uh, taking translation more seriously. And it started working out. And so that is how I became a freelance translator, more or less. So how do you transition from doing this for extra cash to making this your full-time employment? Is, that, is there a long gap there? Is it really something that you can make that decision 
and you're making a living off of translation. Well, it helped that I'd been working in real estate in 2008, which obviously was going to go nowhere. And so I knew I had to do something else. Speaking of good business decisions, exactly. 2008 was a stellar year for real estate. Yeah. Well, I started in 2007, so I got okay. in. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was working commercial real estate and the writing was very much on the wall. And so I knew I'd have to transition over to something else. So, I mean, it, again, it just, it sort of happened organically in the sense that I knew I could do it. I wanted to pursue doing it online for myself a bit more because I talked to a couple people who, who did it for a living and, you know, were doing quite well for themselves. And I thought, hey, if they can do it, so can I. And that was pretty much it. And so it, and I started with many fits and starts. At the beginning, it was quite hard to figure out what to do, what not to do, and how to, you know, get noticed by clients, get repeat business, how to get them to choose me over the other translators, you know, what price point, what this, what that, and how to uh, figure all that stuff out. But, you know, once you get the hang of it, you get the hang of it. So, and this is an interesting thing for a lot of freelance translators, I think. What's your split between translating and, let's say, business management. So everything else, you know, how much time do you spend actually translating and how much time do you spend finding clients and getting paid by clients? Right. So uh, now I'm a bit better off. Well, uh, sort of, yes and no. Um, <laughs> in that I, I, you know, cause I have some steady clients that I can, uh, you know, that contact me and uh, from whom I get steady business. But I would say it all depends. At the beginning, you're going to be spending hundred percent of your time, obviously chasing clients. And yeah. as you get more and more steady clients, you can decrease that somewhat. It never goes away entirely, obviously. And a lot of things are put in place to be automatic. Like I have a place, you can always find me online in several different places. In Translators Cafe and pros.com, which are some of the main websites, I'm there. The American Translator Association on my LinkedIn. I have an About Me page and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm always findable, let's say searchable. And... On the other hand, um, I try to work uh, through referrals. I offer discounts to my current clients if they refer me to new people. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I can have stuff going without me constantly working on it. But at the same time, I, at least at the beginning, pretty much all my spare time was spent. When I'm not translating, I'm trying to do something to see what can work to find new clients. So... That leads us into the more business side because then you were translating for, you were doing just translations for a few years and then you founded Akahi. Is that right? Right. And so this is, I've been, well, actually I founded Akahi pretty early on because I wanted to incorporate even if it was just me. Right. Because, okay. Uh, it's better to incorporate in general if you can just for in terms of liability and in, for invoicing and stuff like that. But at a certain point I realized that I could become an agency. I, I was already working with some other translators and I realized, well, I could actually assign the translations to other people, even if they're in languages that I have nothing to do with and therefore work more like an agency. And that really took off when I started coming here to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. I'm in Taiwan right now, by the way. By the way, yeah, I'm, I'm in Taiwan and it's 7 p.m. here. It's 7 a.m. where... Rebecca is. East so, Coast USA. Exactly. So as time goes by, I'm, I'm drinking a beer right now, so I'm going to be fading while my <laughs> sister's probably having a coffee. So she's going to be doing the opposite and getting right. more awake. So, and over, as this interview goes along, 
Rob will be speaking less, I'll be speaking more, and we'll eventually just cross over. Yes, yeah? exactly. That's <laughs> the plan, at least. That's the plan. Yeah. So I have no idea where I was. Oh, right. So um, I was uh, talking about Akahi. Basically, I started getting a lot of people. I came here to Taiwan originally just to learn Chinese and to hang out in Taiwan for two, three months because I passed by here before. It had been in the back of my mind that I wanted to see Taiwan again, so I did that. As soon as I got here, a lot of people I knew and worked with started contacting me and asking me, hey, do you know any Chinese translators? Do you know anyone you know, who can do translation in Chinese, who's trustworthy, et cetera, et cetera? So I started looking into it, and that started working out. And so I realized there's a huge demand and supply for Chinese translation and Asian language in general. And so I decided to try to set something up and try to make that work out. And that's when I really conscientiously decided to set up an agency and start acting as an agency rather than just as a freelance translator. I want to pick up on, on one thing you've mentioned a couple times now. So I'm not a translator and it would seem to me that in the world of freelance translation, translation even in general, you are in competition with all the other translators out there. But right. you've mentioned a couple times that you all were already collaborating with other translators. How does that work? How do you as a translator, what is that collaboration with other people who do your same profession? How do you collaborate and what are your advantages to working together? Right. Well, first of all, I've always found it uh, it's in everyone's best interest to work together, at least in my experience. I'm not saying it to be frou-frou or whatever. In my experience, I've always worked well with other translators. First of all, I tend to work with translators who deal with different languages. Mm -hmm. other than my own. Yeah. So if, if yeah. you translate from Swedish to Ukrainian or something, we're not in competition. Also, if you translate from Italian to English, but if you concentrate on scientific translations or something that I don't yeah. do, then also we're not in competition. Now, uh, so that, so, and that's the vast, vast majority of all other translators. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I do also work with other translators who do Italian to English, especially more so now when I, am, when I have too much to do and I prefer to assign it to them. And especially now since I'm an agency, I'm trying to step back from translation and, uh, and so I try to assign it to them. Now, they know that I'm an, an, an Italian to English translator, sorry, but it, it's always in everyone's best interest to, uh, to collaborate rather than try to undermine each other. Also, the translation world is pretty small. As I said, there are two main websites that everyone's on. And if you start backstabbing other translators, you know, people are going to find out sooner or later and, uh, and it just doesn't work out. And I've had many, uh, it's happened many times that I work with other translators and maybe I'll, I'll be approached by a client. I can't work on their stuff. I put them directly in touch with another translator and, mm -hmm. uh, and they'll pay me a commission. And, you know, and yeah. it, it'll just come out naturally. And I'll say, and they say, oh, do you want a commission for all this work? I'll say, yeah, sure. What about 10%? And they'll pay me 10%. It's all, it's, uh, it's all above board and, um, yeah. and it, it just works out well. And so, at least in my experience, the translator's world is small and it's also a good one. And people do tend to help each other. You go on the forums on pros.com and Translators Cafe, and it's full of people helping each other out. So I really feel that it's always better to do that and to help other people yeah. out. So what is the, this universe of translators like? Do you find that you're mainly dealing with other freelancers or agencies? Is there an equal mix of both? And is there a big difference between working if, from the client side with a freelancer versus a translation agency? Right. Um, okay. So there are a couple things there. First of all, on the websites, the only time the 
agencies go on the websites is to hire translators. Otherwise, mm -hmm. all the talk, all the forums, all the questions and answers and everything are all just freelance translators. They're basically just for okay. freelance translators. Now, there are a couple of things. The translation agencies are usually not the end clients. Your end client will be like, say, a bank. A bank uh -huh. hires a translation agency because they need to translate into 10 different languages. And the translation agency deals with the different translators. So okay. it's a translation agency almost always deals, well, yeah, deals directly with the translators and then acts as a middleman with, uh, with the end client. And they use these websites to find the translators like pearls.com, Translators okay. Cafe and the other ones. And so, yeah, that's usually how it works. Because I would expect most people to expect that, um, that the agencies have their in-house translators, but that's not often the case. No. Is that right? Um, and less and less so nowadays because the overhead is just not worth it. And so what you'll find many times, many agencies are also a mixture because you'll find these bigger agencies like uh, that, you know, might have big offices in big cities, but then they also work with freelance translators all over the world. So mm. I would say 100% of them probably use freelance translators and more and more of them deal only with freelance translators. Yeah. So if you're a freelance translator wanting to get into this business, the agencies are not your competitors. The agencies are your friend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if you're a freelance translator, your quote-unquote competitor are only, it will only be the person bidding on the same job you're bidding on. And, right. okay. uh, but otherwise, everyone, your tran the translation agencies are people you're going to work for and other translators are people you might work with. Even if they went out on a bid or you went out on a bid this time, next time you might be working with them. Yeah. So you never know. Back to Akahi and your role with now running your own translation agency and being a translator. And in first, in fact, a word on Akahi itself because Akahi as per the model you just described, doesn't have any in-house translators, but is more of a um, network of vetted and screened freelancers. Right. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And so, well, exactly. And so what I do, at least with my translators, since I'm here in Asia and most of my clients are in Europe and some in the U.S., I try, fa trust is a big factor for me. And so what I do is I try to meet all of my translators face-to-face and I try to keep in touch with them and I keep up, especially if they're, because you know, a good translator is worth their weight in gold. And so I try to, yeah. uh, uh, you know, keep in constant touch with them and, um, and just so I can show that I have that personal touch with the translators whenever I talk to the clients. And then they have the personal contact with me because, yeah, you talk to some agencies and they've, I've literally talked to agencies that have like 13,000 translators, I think 23,000 translators, one one agency said, which obviously just means that they have, you know, some online form that they got yeah. 23,000 people to fill out, but that's it. And, but you never know what you're going to get with someone like that. And so I try yeah. to show that I, you know, I have a lot fewer translators, but I do know what, um, you know, what I can offer. And so you do know what you're going to get from me. Right. And it's a, it's a question of quality as well as, so you have, you know, a lower number, but these, all the people on your in your network have been, as you say, you've met them personally, so you're giving an, a quality assurance on that too, as opposed to, well, we've just got access to 20,000 people, we'll find somebody to do your job. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, the quality, so that, that's the main thing. The, the first yeah. thing is the quality, and I make sure that they're good and, and then mm -hmm. that they're trustworthy. 
And so, yeah, exactly. And if they're good yeah. and if their quality is high, then like I said, they're worth their weight in gold. And so I do try to keep that personal touch. Yeah. So back to the Akahi side in terms of your role within it. Now you've got the agency and you're still doing translations. How do you find your time split now between acting for the agency, including acting for yourself via the agency and the translation work that you're doing? Well, I, I should be doing more and more agency work and less and less translation work, but the go-to yeah. very often is translation work because, like I said, I have people contacting me and it's easier and I don't have to uh, you know, pay a translator uh, mm -hmm. for, for the work and you know, I get to keep 100% of it, but it does take up a lot more of my time. And so mm -hmm. I should be doing less of it. I still find myself spending quite a bit of time on it. And it really depends on, because what I, what I do now is for the translations that I work on, I'm almost 100% passive on it. I don't mm -hmm. do any marketing. But when old clients contact me, I tend not to say no unless I really can't. Yeah. So it'll be, it, it'll really depend. So like last month I was working on agency stuff pretty much all month and, um, and that was it. But this month I don't think I've been able to once except that one article that I, that I wrote, I showed you an article yesterday. That was the first time I was able to work on anything agency wise this month, just because I've been contacted uh, for a bunch of translations that I'm working on myself. Yeah. For freelance translators, what are, what is or what are the biggest obstacles to success or the biggest difficulties that people will run into? Oh, that's a good question. So if you are a freelance translator, I mean, it just really depends. I think the, the biggest one at the beginning is to get the ball rolling, is to get your first clients and to get noticed out there and to um, get prospective clients to pick you, you know, really because it's, you don't know where to start, where to go. You're not working for an agency, so you don't have a boss handing you stuff. You actively have to go out and find it. And I would say that's the hardest thing at the beginning. And so I've basically, you need to find a way to get yourself out there. And uh, some of the best ways are to, I mean, there, there are a variety of different ways, you know, from social media to cold emailing people to, you know, just using any contacts you might have to, you know, what have you. Um, and, uh, and basically just try to keep doing that, keep being persistent and use the websites, obviously like Pros and Translators Cafe and other ones that are more specific to a certain area and try to get your name out there and uh, so you can finally get noticed by people to start getting the ball rolling. Yeah. And it's true, there is, a, there is a video on the Akahi YouTube channel called Chicken and Egg, um, where you can, to our listeners and viewers, you can get more details on that specific thing, how you get started. Oh, right, um, and yeah, sorry, a video. There's a podcast episode, probably, hopefully. I don't know if I've, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's, yes, podcast episode. Um, we are the, not going to edit any of this, by the way. Just That's so right. You know. Stream of consciousness is what you get. Um, Actually, the, we, okay, we no. will edit it, but I'm going to edit out the place where I say that we're going to edit it. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Good call. Keep yes. it natural. Okay. Okay. Um, but so back to Akahi, and and I, I keep coming back to Akahi for the listeners because that's our model. That's that's you know the agency that we have here, um, and so but there are a lot of agencies out there. So think of this as a general reference. But um, Akahi. Or working with an agency of that sort is, in effect, helping the translators 
overcome some of those obstacles because you so if I'm if I'm a translator and I get excuse me <coughs> in network with an agency such as that one such as Akahi then I there's a little bit more of me being able to just receive the jobs um, because Akahi is out there looking for them. Yeah, right. Um, so I should okay. I, I'm not sure if, uh, if we specified this yet, so I, I should say uh, just in case it wasn't clear. I'm a freelance translator, and then I set up a translation agency called Akahi, and yes. uh, and Akahi works as a translation agency, but I still do freelance translation. Right. Okay. Um, and we, it probably came across, but I, I just want to make sure. Now, so Akahi, yes, if you're working with a, an agency like Akahi, then it definitely gets the ball rolling, gets your foot in the door. And, um, and once you do that, then it's a lot easier to get other clients because you have references and referrals, you have a track record, etc. Um, however, getting into like I get contacted, Akahi gets contacted by uh, you know prospective translators every day, at least a couple every day. And so I imagine the big translation agencies they get tons of emails. So just sending your email out there and establishing contact with an agency probably won't help much. Um, you know until that moment that you get that you get, actually get hired and you know do a good job. Yeah. I'm going to step away from the agency side now. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I want to talk just about having languages in your life and how you can turn that into a skill. So background here, you already mentioned we grew up in a bilingual home, Italian and English. Um, and in fact, when we were toddlers, we lived in a trilingual home, um, Spanish, Italian and English, not because we had three parents, but because... Each of our parents spoke different languages, and we lived in uh, Argentina, and so we had Spanish as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we both learned Spanish as little babies, and then promptly left South America and forgot our Spanish. But, yeah. um, but it stays dormant, and there's something to be said for that. So starting with this idea of you grow up bilingual, how does that affect your approach to languages? Well, and, and actually, yeah, Spanish was your first language, I think. It was. Yes. Es cierto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but now your Spanish sucks. Um, I can roll my R's. Thank you, Italian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always say, yeah, if I speak Spanish, I always say, es un español muy italianizado. <laughs> That's yeah. accurate. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but sure. What was your question again? <laughs> my question is about growing up bilingual. Does that, how does that, and of course, it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to answer because we never grew up non-bilingual, but growing up bilingual or multilingual, how does that affect your approach to languages in growing up and in life? Well, I mean, I think you just, well, first of all, you can find a bunch of articles that say, you know, that obviously it's, it's beneficial, it helps you to see the world from a different standpoint, and um, it helps you to uh, have a different experience, if you will, because each different language has, has its different point of view, its different culture, et cetera, et cetera. I think in terms of translation, it helps you realize from an early age how important and useful these different languages can be. And, you know, already when we were younger, we, you know, we grew up knowing that we could speak Italian in the States or English back in Switzerland or in Italy, you know, to keep our secrets and, uh, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but, and, but then you also realize how useful it can be to help friends out when they say, hey, what does tiramisu mean or something like that? Right. And, yeah. um, and so it's just embedded, I think, when you grow up with it. Uh, however, 
as, as you mentioned, we grew up with it, so it's hard to imagine not growing up with it. Actually, a good example is our friend Mark, because he uh, didn't really learn a language until college, and then he, he now speaks five or six languages. So he obviously found the importance, he found a love for languages. So I think as time goes by, it, it pretty much levels out. And um, yeah. so if you are interested in languages and if you want to learn a new language, I believe uh, it doesn't matter if you didn't grow up with it. You can always learn it. You always have an advantage if you grew up with it, obviously. But yeah. um, and also just speaking, it isn't enough to translate to and from mm -hmm. a language. And uh, but obviously it requires less work than just starting from scratch. Right. And so I think it is different and it does give you a leg up, if you will. But if you really if if you have the passion for it or if you have the desire to learn a new language or to work in translation or something along those lines, then it's always possible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's you. So you interest you raised the the example of our friend Mark exactly, who is is a language whiz. I you know I grew up speaking languages and I speak multiple languages, and I, I see Mark and I in complete admiration for the fluency that he has, especially having started relatively late. Not that college is late, but again, without having um, the the language sort of as part of your upbringing. Right, and sorry, just to give an idea, Mark speaks. Um, it speaks English, Japanese, Chinese, Russian, Portuguese, and is that it? So yeah. and exactly what's impressive there is the range. So, for example, I speak a ton of languages, but they're almost all Romance languages that I'm fully aware that mm. there's a common base there. So the range of the languages that he speaks. Right. So, but and that, but that speaks well too. There's a difference between growing up multilingual, so a, a, a native tongue and an acquired language. But that difference is not a limitation. To, certainly in life, but even if you want to enter language as a profession, right? Uh, right now, there's a very famous author called, um, in Italy called, uh, what's her name? Elena Ferrante, right? Ferrante, yeah. Yeah, and she yeah. has, um, and her books have become huge, in, and they were bestsellers in the States, too. I can't remember the name yeah. of their, her books now, though. But I don't know the translation in English, but yeah, right. they're, they're huge here as well, yeah. And so Elena Ferrante, she, her translator, uh, who translates the books into English, didn't start learning Italian until she was 35. And I, it, it's a small anecdote on that as well. My, where I went to college, I went to university in, in New York in the Hudson Valley, and the head of, and I worked with the Italian department, of course, and the head of the Italian department was the only non-Italian native speaker. He was American, born and raised, and he learned Italian as an adult, and so he spoke Italian with an accent. And I, I confess to arrogance when I first arrived and found out about this and I thought we've got all these Italian professors how is it that a non-Italian or non-native Italian speaker is the head of the department um, and I had to eat my word within minutes of, of, of having made that thought in my brain because his Italian was impeccable and hearing him speak was like poetry he, because his, his grasp of the language was academic and I don't mean that in a pedantic way but in the way that in the sense that he was fully immersed in Italian and knew how to use the language to his advantage in a way that conversationally I am not able to do. I, you know, if I had to write something down then I would take the time to think of it that way but he spoke as if it were just like this beautiful written literature and, and, it, and it was very impressive and, and somewhat sincerely humbling for me to have to say oh this person when you're just having a conversation with him, his Italian is obviously grammatically 100% sound, but is, is prettier than my Italian because 
my Italian is just my everyday language and it's just right. how I speak. It's how I'm talking to you now in English. Um, so there's, you know, that, that to me also was a big eye opener as to you, yeah, it's never too late to learn a language and you really can enter language as a profession um, if, you, if you love a language and really care to learn it. Um, so, yeah. The, the, there's also, I, I'm going to put another quick anecdote in here because you mentioned a few questions ago about how knowing multiple languages gives you access to um, or an insight into cultures. And one of my favorite examples of that um, is the, um, the race for uh, mayor of Rome a few years back. This was a year or two after President Obama had first run for president. And so he was using the tagline, yes, we can. So Rutelli was running for mayor in Rome, you remember this, and he wanted to appropriate this phrase and translate it into Italian, into sort of Roman slang, saying, se può fa. Um, si può fare in Roman, se può fa. And the <laughs> irony of this being that that has a very different connotation in Italian. It actually sounds very dodgy. It's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can make that work. You know, it's kind of... Um, I mean, it's it's just like complete gangster film. It's such a stereotype. Yeah, and it sounds it, like we can do it in that set. You know, I know people who know people. We can do exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it was just, it was so fascinating to see him like having access to both of those and thinking this is not translating the way yeah. you wanted it to translate at all. But at the same time, it's so very Italian that, you know, it all kind of makes sense. But yeah, um, it's, but this is why you need translators because, you know, you need to think these things through and really get the right wording in there. Well, and um, I remember when that happened because then there, there was a Spanish version of Yes, We Can going around as well, Si Se Puede, uh -huh. which to me oh, yes, would have yes. sounded better in Italian as well. Si Si Può is, is right. better than Si Può Fa, let's say. I mean, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm sure he wanted part of the Roman connotation in there or something, but I don't know. To me, it was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it sounded very odd. It's true. Um, Okay, so, you know, we talked about working in translation, and then we talked about sort of, as you say, a little bit more philosophical, but more in general about having languages. A conclusion of all this is that you can, if you know a language, and actually that, that's what I wanted to, to bring up as well. You, and you mentioned knowing a language is not enough to become a translator, but if you know a language, you can become a translator. What, how do you bridge that gap? Well, by translating. And, and, um... Yeah. Because it can be so different. If you're translating a legal text or if you're translating poetry or if you're translating a novel or if you're just translating yeah. communication, there are all these different nuances you need to do. Like I could not translate a poem if you held a gun to my head, you know? I, I wouldn't yeah. know where to start. But there are ways to figure that out. And so if you want to become a translator, I would say think about what you want to be translating or what you think you'll end up translating like I don't think anyone has a passion for legal texts or for right. you know financial uh, financial texts which which sure. is, are my specialties on the uh -huh. other hand that's my background and I know that that's where I can add the most value and actually I do you know kind of enjoy it every now and then every yeah. now and then sometimes it's really boring <laughs> but I and um, so try to figure out based on you uh, where you think you'll end up going. It might change, but at least for now you have a direction and then look into it. So it might just be, you know, at, at that point you just need to practice. If you're practicing for yourself, then do it by all means. Because if you practice for yourself and if you do your own translation, even of a, te of a text that you found or that you wrote yourself, you can still put it up in your portfolio on these pages. And mm -hmm. so it's still, yeah. it's not, 
useless at all. In fact, it's very good. You can send it to people and everything like that. So I would say to just start off with that um, yeah. and, uh, and just start getting some practice. There are obviously courses that you can take everywhere in terms of translation um, and definitely, you know, for the basics and stuff like that. So feel free to look in your local college and uh, to look online if you see anything along those lines. Yeah. And speaking of something that you'd love to do, I think often what you, what you end up enjoying in your profession isn't necessarily what you thought your passion was, but it's just what you find that you're good at. You know, as you say, it's not like you ever woke up one day and said, I wish I could spend my life translating legal text. But then you yeah. find you're good at something. And the same with me with operations in a software company. Yeah. This was never a dream or a passion, but then you find something you're good at and you enjoy the things that you're good at. And so, um, and so I think the same with translating. As you say, practice, find what clicks with you, find where you can bring your skill. And then yeah. because you're good at something, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm, I've got just one more thing I want to raise, and then I'm, I'm good to wrap this up. Raise um, it. So the roof? Raise it. Yes. Okay. That's, that, now we dance. Um, <laughs> the, and I, I would just be terribly remiss if I did not mention that, of course, shameless plug, Robert does have a book out on how to become a freelance translator. The, and it's about getting started, setting up, finding your first clients, what are the obstacles you're going to run into. Give us, give us your like one and a half minute intro to the book. What do people get out of buying this book? Oh, I've heard it's a great book. Uh, I've so, heard the same. <laughs> Some great reviews on Amazon. Check it out. <laughs> yes. No, and that's exactly what it'll do. So what this book, let me start with what this book will not do. It will not teach you how to translate stuff. So it won't teach you these nuances or how to do a legal text or poetry or stuff like that. But what it will do is teach you how to position yourself. So if you decide that you want to translate for a living, it'll teach you how to get in front of the right clients, how to pursue them, get noticed by them, how to have them pick you, and also how to have repeat business from them. And then it'll teach you how to, you know, get paid from them, you know, not get cheated by clients because let's face it, everyone who works in translation has some horror stories, pretty much a rite of passage of being cheated somewhere by, by someone. And then, yeah. uh, and also just, you know, how to go through the general invoicing and marketing, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. So if you are doing translations um, on the side and you want to do it full time, or if you just have languages in your life and think this could be interesting to get into, um, from our website, akahi.com, you can find a link to buy our book, um, either paper copy or Kindle um, or e-book format. Um, so I do recommend it. I read it. I'm not a translator, but there's also something to be said for just being a freelancer in general. There are definitely also general tips in there that you can use. Um, so as I say, that's part of my early morning and evening job to make sure I plug that as well. That's all of my questions. Closing statements. Well, I'd like to thank the Academy <laughs> and I'd like to thank our parents who have disinherited yeah. us. But Yes. But until then, they were great. Yeah, parents. until then, they were great parents. No, and uh, I, so I hope this kind of clarified stuff for people who are not freelance translators and uh, such as yourself. That's why I had you asking me the questions. Okay, so now we enter yes. the bonus section. This is for oh. our podcast listeners, i.e. all of you, listener, <laughs> mom, <laughs> if you haven't stopped well, listening not anymore. Yet. Yeah, I know, yeah. Okay, dad. Dad. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's go down to books. What books have you been reading lately? Oh my goodness. Um, I recently finished Lustrum by um, Robert Harris, which is the second in the Cicero trilogy. 
um, which was phenomenal. And at the same time, I'm reading this series of murder mysteries that take place in ancient Greece, and it's a series by Gary Corby, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. It's kind of light reading, but really fun. Right, okay, and, and the Cicero series, is that murder mysteries as well, or is that just... No, oh, okay, it's, okay. It's, it's, um, it's told as storytelling, but it's all based on the text that we have of Cicero's life, both from, um, I think, from public text, but also his slave invented shorthand, and Tiro, he invented shorthand and um, kept notes of all his speeches and all the meetings and everything, and then also wrote his own sort of biography of his owner, um, Cicero, towards huh. the end of his life. So it's taken from, from all these primary texts. Oh yeah, you recommended this book to me on Goodreads, I think. I, I, yeah, I'm sure I did. It's, okay. it's really, so it's the, the first one is Imperium, the second one is Lustrum, and then the last one is called Dictator. Um, I okay. haven't read that one. Um, okay, I should check them out. Uh, but in, in terms of murder mysteries as well, I, I should say uh, my sister has been getting deep into them. Yes. And she, because she introduced us to a website and uh, called StopYourKillingMe.com, yeah. uh, where you can find all the murder mysteries in the world ever. And through that, we got, because I, or we started listening to Harlan Coben, because I, or my wife actually, is really liked Harlan Coben mysteries. Right. And so we listened to a bunch of those. And then through the website, StopYourKillingMe.com, we found Amish murder mysteries. That's and right. So that would be yeah. cool. And we did three of those. Linda Castillo, Linda Castillo is her name. And she writes uh -huh. these Kate Burkholder mysteries. And uh, those are really good. And so, um, and so, yeah, we've been enjoying those. I finished the number two or three in, the Cape, in, in those Amish murder mysteries. And now I just started the third book of uh, Robert, Robert Galbraith, who's the oh, pseudonym of, of J.K. Rowling. Rowling. Yes. And, um, and, his, and his, her latest, uh, sorry, uh, book, um, which, uh, which is good so far. I just started it. And yeah. uh, otherwise, I just finished a huge tome. It's a biography of Deng Xiaoping, who's um, the Chinese leader who took over after Mao. And, right. um, and it's basically a huge biography of his uh, that I've been yeah. meaning to read for a while. I remember because I remember when he died, I was in college and our friend Christina, like she, I remember she was like really distraught and you know, when he died and she was like, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen to China now and all that. And I felt really embarrassed because I never heard of Deng Xiaoping before and I'm like, oh. Right. And he was on the cover <laughs> of The Economist and everything. And so, so it always been in the back of my mind that I wanted to learn more about him. And so I finally, I found this, yeah, this huge book and I finally finished it yesterday actually. Well, actually on that note, it's, yeah. it's weird. It's like we're related because I just started a book called um, The Tragedy of Liberation. I always read two books at a time. So I just started a book called The Tragedy of Liberation, um, which is about the um, uh, liberation, <laughs> the Mao Zedong's liberation of China, um, based on, you know, a lot of records came to light only in the, you know, in relatively recent years. And so taken from the records that came to light once, you know, that, that were released, um, you know, there's a lot of detail that, that was revealed about the liberation of China. I should look it up. Sorry, and another book I just finished, and um, I forgot about it because it, it took me so long to finish it. It's called First Bite by, by B. Wilson. This is, it's a book about food and about eating. And it just took me, for, I started when we were back in Charleston, actually, and, uh, uh -huh. and I just finished it recently. It just took me so long because actually it's really good and it has a lot of useful information, but it's, it kind of seems all over the place. I can't tell. It's not a diet book. It's not a scientific book. And it's not like okay. anecdotal, but it's a mixture of everything. And it just has a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, it has some interesting stuff 
but it's kind of all over the place, just about food, about the latest findings in it, about how people, you know, gain weight, lose weight, and what works, what doesn't, and stuff like that. So if you have any interest, then, you know, that would probably be interesting. And uh, that's pretty much it. And that's a quick note on how um, Gebhardt's and Gebhardt Breitzies read, is that Charleston that my brother just mentioned was in December. So December through March for us is a really long time to finish a book. Yes. Um, so well, that's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I've been reading other books in the meantime. That one just dragged out, dragged on and on. But yeah, yeah. Um, it was... Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't all that bad, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good. Okay. Cool. Well, I hope you were recording because I wasn't. Good. If you have any other questions or anything to add, you can do it now. Otherwise, I will say goodbye. Well, I will return your goodbye with my goodbye. Okay. G goodbye. <laughs>